buzzing with excitement and anticipation. The wait was finally over. And when the cry of a little baby pierced the air, joy and excitement filled the faces of relatives and neighbors who had gathered at the home. The baby was a miracle baby of sorts because Zachariah and Elizabeth had been trying to have a baby for a really long time. Their pregnancy was a gift, a gift of God's mercy and his power was not just the result of repeated human effort. And this baby, this baby would have a very special calling on his life. Now Molly read the passage for us, and many of you are familiar with this story, having heard it a number of times. But if you will allow me to retell the account of this miracle in story form, maybe we can all hear it in a fresh way this morning. Now we're first introduced to the couple in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Zacharias served as a priest in the temple, in the division of Abijah. He was married to Elizabeth, and she was from the priestly line of Aaron, which was considered especially honorable. Now, as a couple, their impressive priestly heritage was equally matched by their worship of God and their obedience to his commands. The text says both of them were upright in the sight of God, keeping all of the Lord's commands blamelessly. But they carried an ache of personal pain. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And while they had hoped and prayed for years that God would give them a child, he had not. And now, like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, Zechariah and Elizabeth were well along in years. And their hope of having a child dwindled and flickered, about to be extinguished. Those of you who have faced infertility or know a person who has, you know the heartache and pain that comes with this. Zechariah and Elizabeth had lived with that pain and pleaded with God during those years to intervene and give them a child. But for reasons known only in heaven, God had chosen not to do so. And to make matters worse, in that particular culture and day, childlessness was thought to be a sign of God's displeasure, even his judgment. Which means in that Jewish culture, Elizabeth's barrenness not only brought terrible sorrow, but it brought tremendous shame as well. It was not just a dark time personally for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was also a dark time politically in Judea. Luke alludes to this when he uses the phrase, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, his original readers would have understood the gravity of those words immediately, but it's less obvious to you and I, separated by time and culture. So let me fill in a few details for you. This was Herod the Great. He ruled over Judea for 33 years. He died shortly after Jesus was born. For the Jews living in Judea, the days of Herod were a time of political and economic oppression. Now, they were not enslaved, but neither were they free to self-govern. 
Herod was evil, he was ruthless, and he cared only about his power. He made decisions that served his political power, that advanced his political purposes, and protected his political power, even killing his wives and children if they seemed a little too ambitious for the throne. This guy was evil. And just to show his love for power, Herod went to Rome and petitioned the Roman Senate to give him the title King of the Jews. And surprisingly, they granted it. Now, the Jews never accepted him as their king, of course, because Herod was only half Jewish and he did not come from the royal line of David. But Herod governed selfishly, always for his own good, never, never for the good of the people. And further, many Jews wondered if God himself had turned his back on the Jewish people. You know, the final words of the Old Testament uh, prophecy had come from Malachi. And Malachi had promised that another prophet would come, one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. But with those words, the Old Testament closed. The prophetic pen was laid down. And the voice of prophecy was silent for 400 years. Had God forgotten his promise? I mean, after all, 400 years had passed and no prophet had come. Just silence. The people of Israel felt forgotten, abandoned even, and for many of them, their faith had started to grow cold. Luke opens his gospel describing for us the political corruption, the spiritual dryness, and the personal pain in this opening chapter. If Luke had been Bob Ross, the landscape painter, his landscape painting would have been a wasteland. No towering mountain, no tranquil lake scene, and no happy little trees. Right? These were dark and difficult times. But, but, all of that was about to change. It all started one day when Zechariah's priestly division was on duty. Zechariah was chosen by Lot to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This was an indescribable honor, one that would have overjoyed Zechariah. Not every priest received this opportunity, and those that did would receive this honor only once in their lifetime. So, you just have to understand. You just have to understand how extraordinary this day was for him. Twice during this day, Zechariah would be allowed to enter into the holy place, and he would stand in front of the veil that separated him from the holy of holies. And he would trim the wicks on the lampstand, and he would pour burning coals onto the altar, and then he would sprinkle incense onto those burning coals. And the incense was this mixture of spices, and the aroma and the smoke going up symbolized the prayers of God's people ascending to heaven. And as the incense burned, Zechariah would lay prostrate 
on the floor in humble prayer. And then he would withdraw from the room backwards. And while all of this was happening, the people would be outside praying and waiting for Zechariah to return. So Zechariah entered the temple with his bowl of incense in his hand. And at some time during the ceremony, the unexpected happened, something he was not prepared for in the least. Zechariah came face to face with the angel of the Lord. Now, we don't know what physical form the angel took, but I can assure you of this. It was not a plump little cherub with a baby face and a miniature harmonica like Hallmark and Precious Moments wants us to believe. Mm -mm -mm, No, this angel was terrifying. His presence was terrifying. And the text says Zechariah was gripped with fear. And the angel announced to Zechariah that his prayers for a child were about to be answered with a yes. Elizabeth was going to have a baby, and they were to name him John. Can you imagine the excitement Elizabeth would feel when Zechariah told her the news? All the tears, all the heartache, all the shame. After all these years, all of it was about to come to an end. No longer would her arms be empty, but they would hold a precious little baby, a baby of their own. And that's not all. Their baby would not only be an answer to their prayer, but this baby would have a very special calling on his life. The angel said to Zechariah, he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. This little guy is going to fill your home and your hearts with joy and laughter and energy and it's going to spread out from there, the angel said. As people begin to understand the prophetic role John will play someday, many will come to rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, set apart from all other babies, set apart from all other babies in three specific ways. First, John is never to take wine or other fermented drink. This was just kind of a shorthand way or an abbreviated way of saying that this little boy would be consecrated as a Nazarite from birth. God was setting John apart calling him to a very specific task and purpose. And this would require that he abstain from any food or drink associated with grapes, including wine and raisins. He would not be able to cut his hair or have any contact with anything dead. Now, normally, when a person made a Nazarite vow, that vow was short-term. It was for a limited time to accomplish a specific thing. But this was an exceedingly rare occasion. God was designating John to be a lifelong Nazarite, just as he had done centuries earlier to a man named Samson. This Nazarite vow set John apart for special use by the Lord. He would be a Nazarite for life. 
Second, John would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth, the angel said. This was a gift more wonderful than any Old Testament believer could possibly have imagined. Up to that time, God had often given his Holy Spirit to someone for a limited time and for a specific purpose, but never before. Never before had someone been filled with the Holy Spirit for their entire life, from birth to death. But John would, and this would further set John apart for God's use. And then third and finally, John would be great in the sight of the Lord for one more reason. The angel said, many of the people of Israel will come back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zechariah was a seasoned priest. He was an expert in the Hebrew scriptures. So he knew in an instant that the angel was quoting the prophecy of Malachi. And Zechariah understood the implication of that message. John was the fulfillment of Malachi's final prophecy. This baby boy would grow to become the forerunner to the Messiah. He would prepare the way for the Lord. Can you imagine what this would have meant to Zechariah? All these years of longing for a child and not having one, and now he's not only going to have one, but listen to what the Lord has told him about this baby. Try to understand how his head would have been spinning, trying to wrap his mind around all that the angel told him. Can this really be happening, he must have thought. Can it really? Is, it, is he really talking about my boy? Oh. So Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In typical Old Testament style, Zechariah asked for a sign of confirmation to know for sure if he could believe all that he had just heard. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their proper time. See, Zachariah's question revealed a lack of trust in his heart. The problem was not that he asked for a sign. Others had done that in the scriptures and a sign had been given. Here is the issue. Here's the issue. Zechariah was a seasoned priest, intimately familiar with God's word and with God's track record of doing exactly what he said he would do. Zechariah was in a better position than most people to take God at his word, to trust him and not doubt. But he didn't. That was the issue that he didn't. And nine months of silence was the consequence. Now, while all of this was going on inside the temple, the people were waiting for Zechariah outside, 
wondering why he was taking so long. But when he finally came out, he couldn't speak. He kept making signs to them. And then they realized he had had a vision inside the temple. And so Zechariah finished his week of service. He returned home. And Elizabeth became pregnant, just as the angel had said. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. But she could not stop smiling, I'm sure, or laughing, or mumbling to herself, or putting her hands on her stomach as it began to grow. And through it all, she was rejoicing and praising God. The Lord has done this for me, she said. He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace. A new day was about to dawn. Herod's fraudulent title, King of the Jews, was about to be superseded as Jesus, the real King of the Jews, was about to be born. The days of spiritual silence were coming to an end as Malachi's prophecy was about to be fulfilled in the birth of John. And the days of personal pain, they were being replaced with days of joy and celebration. Zachariah and Elizabeth were going to have a baby. And that leads us back to where we first began. Nine months of waiting are over, and the time, the day has arrived. And when the cry of a little baby pierced the air, the joy and excitement filled the faces of relatives and neighbors who had gathered at the couple's home. And over the course of the next week, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had to make a lot of adjustments to their life. They had to settle into new routines for the caring of that little baby. But the neighbors and relatives rejoiced with these new parents, recognizing that the Lord had shown Elizabeth great mercy, tender compassion. And they celebrated with her and shared her joy. Luke 1.59 tells us that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 no. He is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And so they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. This verse seems to indicate for us that Zechariah had lost not only his voice, but his hearing as well. Verse 63, so he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And then it happened. Then it happened. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. And in that moment, The angel's promise was kept because remember he had told Zechariah back in verse 20 that he would be unable to speak until the day this happens. And sure enough, when the baby was born and they named him John, Zechariah's mouth was opened and he began to praise. And in the final verses of this chapter, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit And with his freshly reacquired voice, he sings a beautiful uh, psalm of praise to the Lord. And he makes four bold declarations about the coming Messiah, 
currently in Mary's womb. Let me describe these for you very briefly. In verse 68, the voice of Zechariah declares, the Messiah is our Redeemer. The Messiah is our Redeemer. Verse 68 reads like this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. Notice here that Zechariah spoke of the coming redemption as if it had already happened. He spoke in past tense as if it had already occurred. The wheels had been set in motion. And because God's promises are absolutely sure and certain, which Zechariah had found out over the last nine months, but God's promises are absolutely sure and certain. And so Zechariah could speak with the assurance as if they had already taken place. Now to redeem is to pay a price. It's to secure the freedom of someone from oppression or enslavement. You can think of it as opening a prison door. The Messiah was coming to bring release to the captives, Luke would later say. And the freedom to people in bondage. He would bring freedom to people in bondage from sin. But, but, here's what we need to understand. This redemption would look very different than what the Jews expected it to look like. Redemption would not come through military victory or through political overthrow as they had envisioned. Unbeknownst to them, unbeknownst to them, this redemption would be accomplished only as Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross, giving his life as a ransom for many. Redemption, yes, but it would not initially look the way they thought it was going to. In verses 69 to 75, the voice of Zechariah declares, the Messiah is our deliverer. The Messiah is our deliverer. Look at these verses. It says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in, uh, raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable him to serve, and in, sorry, enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all of our days. Verse 70 reminds us that salvation through the house of David had been foretold long ago by the prophets, centuries ago. The Old Testament actually contains more than 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah. For example, God had pro promised that the Messiah would be a Jew. He would be from the tribe of Judah. He would be from the family of David. And he would be born in the city of David. That's just four. But more than 300 prophecies, specific prophecies, about the Messiah's birth, life, ministry, and death are in the Old Testament. And each one, every single one of them, will be perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. This particular psalm by Zechariah referenced prophecies found in Genesis, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Malachi. The horn that's talked about in verse 69 that symbolized power 
and victory in the scriptures. And so the picture here is of an army that's about to be taken captive, and then the cavalry arrives and the enemy is defeated. Through the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah, God the Father would fulfill his promises made to Abraham. And he would bring salvation to his children, salvation from our enemies, and victory over those who hate us. The long-endured oppression and persecution are about to end. The Messiah would deliver us from our enemies. Third, the voice of Zechariah declares, the Messiah is our forgiver. He's our forgiver, one who will cancel our debt. Look at verses 76 and 77. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah now turns his attention to this little boy that he may be holding in his arms as he speaks. That little baby already has the Holy Spirit. And he will grow up to be a prophet of the Most High. The first in 400 years. And he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He would end the prophetic silence just as the prophets Isaiah and Malachi had foretold. And John would be a forerunner to the Messiah, going on before and preparing the way for him. But his message would be a message of repentance, for salvation would come through the forgiveness of sin. Again, not through military victory and political overthrow. And Zechariah's boy, John, he would be the first herald of this message. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And finally, the voice of Zechariah declares that the Messiah is our guide. He is our guide. Look at verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadows of death, to guide our feet into the paths of peace. The rising sun is coming, Zechariah says. A new day is about to dawn. The Messiah will be a light for those living in darkness. He will bring life to those who live in the shadow of death. In the words of the psalmist, the Messiah will be a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. And all of this will happen. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Not because of how great Zechariah's son will be but because of how great Zechariah's God is. And after more than nine months of silence, Zechariah's mouth opened and, words, and, and the words uttered by Zechariah were more than just a joyful song. They were that, but they were more than that. His words were a word from the Lord for God's people. The Messiah was about to be born and he would be our redeemer, our deliverer, our forgiver, and our guide. But they would have to wait a little bit, for the babies must be allowed to grow up. And this was only John's first week. So Luke closes this chapter by telling us that the child grew and became strong in spirit and lived in the desert. 
And before we close the message, let me just make two points of application this morning. First point is this. Difficult and painful circumstances are not automatically a sign of God's disapproval or a consequence for personal sin. Sometimes they set the stage for God's glory to be revealed. Difficult and painful circumstances are not automatically a sign of God's disapproval or as a consequence for personal sin. Sometimes, sometimes they set the stage for God's glory to be revealed. You know, for years, Zachariah and Elizabeth had lived with the marital pain and the cultural shame of childlessness. And for years, they had prayed for a child, but their prayers had not been answered for reasons they did not understand. The answer seemed like a no, time after time after time. And the society around them believed this was a sign of God's disapproval or a consequence for sin. And so they looked down on Zechariah and Elizabeth with shame and condemnation. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God's answer to their prayer had never been no. The answer had never been no. It had always been, wait, just wait a little longer. Not quite yet, Zach. Hang in there a little longer, Liz. Keep trusting me, guys. Their painful experience of barrenness was setting the stage for God's glory to be revealed. It just needed some time. And you know, years later, Jesus and the disciples would, in, would encounter a man born blind, and, and the disciples would ask Jesus the same question. Who sinned, Jesus, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer taught the same truth. He said to his disciples, neither. This happened so that the glory of God might be revealed. So, friends, do not give up. Keep praying over whatever dark and difficult circumstances are in front of you. Keep praying just as Zechariah and Elizabeth did. The difficult and painful circumstances you are facing right now might be setting the stage for a display of God's power and majesty and glory. It might be. The answer to your prayer may not be no. It might be just wait a little bit. Hang in there. The second application, I'll word like this. God's promises are sure and certain but they function on his timeline. God's promises are sure and certain, but they function on his timeline. So remember, Zechariah had originally doubted the angel's message, and more than nine months of silence ensued. So now, with a voice that has been restored, Zechariah is going to use it to praise God for long-standing promises and centuries-old prophecies that were about to be fulfilled in the births of John and Jesus. God is true, Zechariah would say. God is true, friends, and his promises are absolutely sure and certain. Each one will be fulfilled, but it happens on God's timeline, not ours. Interestingly, God himself describes his commitment to this in Isaiah 46. Let me read you just a couple of verses. He says, 
Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I have made known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. What I have said, I will bring about. What I have planned, I will do. Listen to me, you who are far from righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It's not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion and my splendor to Israel. Friends, the voice of Zechariah reminds us that our God is a promise-keeping, prophecy-fulfilling God, and his word is absolutely sure and certain. And while we do not know what the keeping and the fulfilling will look like, and it might look very different than we expect, but he will keep his word. What he has said, he will bring about. What he has planned, he will do. And he will do so in his perfect timing. Like Zachariah and Elizabeth, sometimes we are simply asked to wait. So trust him in this, friends. Trust him. His timing is perfect, and it always accomplishes his glory and our good. Why don't we stand together for closing prayer? Heavenly Father, as we observe the Advent season, and we begin our Christmas series this morning, looking at the experience of Zachariah and Elizabeth, we want to thank you again for the gift of your son. Many of us have heard these Christmas stories for years. Some of us since we were kids. But God, I pray that in this coming Advent season, you would protect our hearts from complacency and boredom. Help us to hear each story as if we were hearing it for the first time. God, I pray that your spirit would stir deeply in our hearts as we listen to the text of Scripture. I pray that we would be stirred by the decor that we enjoy, by the music that our worship team plays for us, by the songs that we sing together, by the Scriptures that are read by the prayers that we pray and by the teaching that we receive. God, I pray that your spirit would use all of this to stir our hearts so that the joy and celebration of Jesus' birth, while it is a familiar story, I pray that we would hear it new and that it would have its full impact on us this year. And I pray that you would help us to keep Jesus at the center of this holiday season and more importantly, at the center of our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.